The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. My name is Claire Morigande. I am your host on this show. And my goal is to amplify social impact by bringing you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact within their communities all around the world. So if you're looking for a program that showcases unique stories of change makers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society, and at the same time, you want to get inspired to take action, then this podcast is definitely for you. This second episode of October continues to explore healthcare access in Africa. So just like my previous guest, today I speak with yet another healthcare leader from the private sector who has an on-the-ground experience of introducing new therapeutics, diagnostics, and medical devices in emerging markets. His name is Olawale Ajose. He is the co-founder and principal consultant at Market Access Africa, a healthcare consulting firm based in Geneva, focusing on sub-Saharan Africa. Wale shares the mission of Market Access Africa, as well as his perspective on the future of healthcare on the continent. Do take a moment to rate and to review our show on your preferred podcast listening app, but for now, listen to Wale's endeavor to contribute to improve healthcare access across Africa. Good afternoon, Wale. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am doing good. So today in our conversation, we're going to be mainly speaking about uh, Market Access Africa, which is a healthcare consulting firm. But before we jump into that, I'd like to, you know, start with some introductions. So tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what is your background, if you'd like to share with our listeners. Sure, sure. So my, my background is in uh, cell biology and genetics. I did my first degree in in Nigeria, in the University of Lagos, and uh, and then I I went to do a, a master's in public health degree. So I'm I'm really like a, a science guy. I started my my career actually in 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 construction. You know, after my first degree, the the, the options for for work were quite limited and not very exciting. You know, the only jobs I, I was getting was to work in a lab in Lagos. And I decided, you know, this is not the life I want. And so me and uh, a friend started a, a barging business where we would basically move construction products from one side of Lagos to the other side of Lagos using barges. And um, it was kind of like the, it had never been done before in Lagos. Um, and it was successful for like a year and a half. And then we, we had issues with the government and they shut us down. So it was after then I then went to pursue a degree in, in public health. So you refused to stay in the lab and you went for public health. What, what was the motivation there for you? So I've always I've kind of always been passionate about healthcare, And I think it's because my mom, my mom is a medical doctor, right? My sister is also, her background is in healthcare as well. So we grew up in 
in kind of like an environment where, you know, you're always talking about health and science and, and what have you. So I think from that standpoint, I was always passionate about healthcare and I knew I wanted to work in healthcare. The plan was in, as I was going into university to do medicine, but I wasn't smart enough to get into the medicine degree. And so, so my mom said, you know, you, you, well, if you can't get into medicine, maybe another like opportunity for you to work in healthcare is to do public health. Now, coming back to, to Market Access Africa, as I just said in the beginning, it's a healthcare consulting firm, which is based in Geneva in Switzerland. And I'm curious to know what led you to start this firm? So after, after my public health degree, I, I worked in a number of um, global health organizations, um, initially with the Clinton Health Access Initiative, which most people know as CHAI. They, they use business approaches to try and solve healthcare problems, right? I was there for, for, for a few years, and that really exposed me to just the, the needs around product introduction and market access in Africa. And then I left uh, Chai and went uh, to work for a big funding agency in Geneva called Unitate. And Unitate is also very unique in the sense that um, they, they finance market-based um, interventions in, in um, low- and middle-income countries. So unlike your traditional funding agencies that would fund you know, procurement of condoms and all these things that we, you know, you think about NGOs, you have that in your mind. Unitate was more, you know, innovative. They would fund R&D, they would fund upstream interventions and so on. And I did that for a few years. And then I left Unitate to work for, for DNDI, which is a, a, it's a product development partnership that manufactures drugs for, for neglected tropical diseases. And across this, you know, I guess this, uh, three companies and my experiences there, one thing was very clear to me that, you know, for us to fix the healthcare problem in Africa, one, you can't just take a, a purely public sector approach, right? Um, you need to mix this great public sector thinking with all of the other amazing interventions that you find in the private sector. And this really wasn't happening. That's one thing. The second thing is, is, is that, Aid is, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm not against aid. I think aid is, is good. But, you know, you can't build the public sector off aid. Aid augments everything else that you're doing. The way you build the, the health system, sorry, um, is by, is in my opinion, is through trade. You bring in, you, you create the enabling environment, and that's the role of government. But then you also need to support the private sector, you need to support private capital into the health system. And this, if you think about the way development agencies work, you know, that private sector element is usually missing. And so basically we formed the, the, the intent around Market Access Africa was to fuse both, both, you know, the public sector mindset and the private sector mindset and bring that thinking into, into healthcare programming in Africa. Not just working with, you know, international organizations and NGOs, but also supporting companies that want to, you know, um, get access to the healthcare market in Africa. So if I understand correctly, what kind of makes you unique is you're bringing this private sector mindset into the public sector space. I'm wondering, is this, I mean, unique to only you? Are you the only firm doing this? No, no. So, so what, so you have a few firms. So the big healthcare 
consulting firms do this already, uh, but um, you know, we, we know how much those guys charge. They're incredibly expensive. I think what makes us unique is, is that, um, you know, many of the people that, that work for us are, are based in, in Africa, right? So we, we exclusively use, use Africans and we look for seasoned subject matter experts, people that have more than 10 years of experience, you know, just doing solid work on the continent. You know, and they all look like like us, right? You know, they are they're black and and they are incredibly smart. And and this is one thing that you don't find in in most organizations. You know, you a lot of them. I mean, and I and I don't want this to to sound like I'm I'm you know uh, pointing fingers, but this this a lot of organizations fly in and fly out consultants into Africa um, when we have the expertise at, at home. So that's one one thing that really makes us different. The, the other thing is is that um, for us, it's very important that, and it's linked to the first point, that the solutions that we provide are grounded in, in the local context. There's no point taking on a client, providing advice that really doesn't change the reality of, of Africans. And so for us, the African person, the patient, whatever we want to call it, is really at the center of everything that we do. And if we're not changing lives, then there's no point being in business. And coming back on, on um, a few points that you mentioned before, you were speaking about your clients. Who, who are your clients exactly? Without naming names, you know, who are you working with? Uh, we work with a lot of for-profit companies, diagnostic companies, medical device companies, um, pharmaceuticals. Um, we're beginning to do some work around vaccines. And then, and then also um, international public sector organizations, the ones here in Geneva um, and some in the U.S., um, and we're also beginning to engage a bit more strategically with, um, with African institutions that also need help. Um, and so, so, you know, you have, you have institutions that have, for example, they have good initiatives, but they don't have access to this side of the world and, you know, the funding on this side and the innovation from this side. So what we're now doing is looking for ways to bridge these two worlds and, you know, just like serving as a, as a mediator, if you will. You mentioned that you work exclusively with people on the continent. So who are you working with? I and mean, what are the profile of these people who are working as consultants? The profiles vary. Um, we, we currently have a really good mix of ex-pharma people. Um, so, so people like you, um, ex, I don't want to name companies, but, um, you know, the big, the big diagnostic and pharmaceutical companies, we have people who used to work there. We also have people like me, you know, global health people um, have worked several years in, 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 in implementation and, and so on. Africa can also be very political, right? So if you want to get buy-in from the government or the Ministry of Health, you need to understand the politics. And so you need people that also have that expertise. So some of the people that work for us are, are also ex-Ministry of Health um, officials um, or, or folks that have worked in government. So with most projects, you would, you would see this mix. You would see, you know, a business person, a global health person, and in, in several instances, someone who is, is more on the political side. So it's less than a year of existence, but have you seen a certain impact of your work at this point? What can you share? A lot of the work that we've been doing has been, you know, helping companies understand the, their go-to-market strategy in Africa 
and you know giving them solutions that we think will help them succeed on the continent. And some of these companies have actually taken the strategy and are currently implementing it. Before market access, a lot of what I used to see was companies have their strategy, they try and execute the strategy, the strategies don't work, and then they say, well, Africa is a hard place to work in, right? So we're not going to invest in Africa. And what we are seeing, at least with some of the companies that, that are beginning to implement the strategies that we we are um, that we've put forward is that is that they're happy, right? They again, all of these things haven't translated into massive revenue. So I can't honestly tell you three, five years from now, if they'll still want to work in Africa. But so far, they seem to be very happy. And I also need to say that, like, you know, our work really doesn't stop in strategy. We want to hold the hands of the clients and help them engage with government and help them with implementation and so on. Again, for some of the companies that we're working with, um, because we're involved in implementation, we're seeing progress. I'm curious to know from from your whole experience, you know, in the global um, healthcare space, what other gaps or needs that you see at this point uh, that could improve access to healthcare in, in Africa? How do you see this whole space evolving? The truth is, companies succeed in Africa, right? You look at um, the retail sector, you have billion dollar businesses in Africa that are doing well. You have billionaires in Africa that are doing well. You look at healthcare and many, many companies are doing well. You know what, guess what? Because 70, 80% of, of the population get their services from the private sector. So somebody must be serving them. So I guess the point is, I see a massive potential for Africa. And I think it's very, very important that companies that want to work on the continent look beyond what they read in reports. And they, they really like, they really commit. They commit, they grow the business the same way they would grow it in, in Europe and in the US. And yes, the revenue potential is not the same, right? But the impact that you would have is much greater because the need is much greater. So yeah, so I, I think the, the, the potential is there. In terms of opportunities I see, it's a lot. And we, we could spend the next three hours having this conversation. Um, there's the, local manufacturing on the African continent is, is getting a lot of attention at the moment. This is one area that is going to grow. There's a lot of political will now, given everything that happened with COVID. Many of the companies in Africa struggle to compete because they also don't have just access to, to low-cost APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients. So it's, it's like the raw materials for manufacturing drugs or diagnostics or anything. And it's because the market is very fragmented. And I think the person or the organization that is able to figure out how to consolidate those volumes and provide some financial guarantees and you know, just use economies of scale to lower the cost of API acquisition would make a big difference on the continent. So I think this is also an area and it's one that we're really excited about is how do we help manufacturers succeed? How do we help them lower their cost of production and then further downstream, how do, we, how, how do you help them get a better, you know, a higher share of the market? And how do you get products from Kigali to, you know, remote parts of, of Rwanda near the Congo border, right? Um, who does that work? So I think m manufacturing as a whole is getting a lot of attention and, and that is one area where people should be paying attention. 
But then if you unpack manufacturing, I would focus also on distribution, last, uh, last mile distribution, and then also upstream around you know, um, API sourcing and so on. But these are just like three examples I could mention more. And any other insights from your personal experience, I would say, because you started uh, in, in Lagos in Nigeria, you now live in Switzerland. You know, what is your personal view as well? I think the personal views are the same. Um, I mean, I'll be lying if I said Africa is an easy place to work because you don't have the enabling environment. So personal view is, and I hope, you know, someone from the government is listening to this, right, um, in Africa is, is we need to also create that enabling environment. And companies are not going to do it for us. And many of the public sector organizations are trying, but it really is the responsibility of government. So until we can fix things like regulation and reduce the time it takes to register your product and reduce the cost. Some of the countries, I don't want to mention names here, but they charge a lot <laughs> to, to register your product. And then you think about, I have to do it in what, 50 something countries, it's too much. So harmonizing regulation is going to be very important and it's only governments can do it. And there are efforts on the way to harmonize regulation in Africa. Um, I think they just recently got the last signature um, and you know the African medicines agency would hopefully soon be up and running. And uh, so that should hopefully streamline regulation um, processes in the coming years, um, but that has to happen. The, you know, the other thing is, is that you getting your products into the country. I mean, you, you just have distribution is, is, is really not in a good shape. And again, there's a role for private sector to play, but there's also a role for government. So my personal view is, is, that, is that governments also need to step up and make the investments if they want to improve the healthcare system. And there's also a role for, for you know, and public sector organizations. And, and I'm, I'm so happy. This is why I said I'm not against aid. Because aid goes a long way, you know, billions of dollars are being pumped into, you know, low middle income countries from organizations like the Global Fund. And if that money was in there, HIV patients wouldn't get drugs because governments are dealing with several issues, right? You know, malaria patients might not get their drugs or diagnostics, TB patients and so on. My issue with aid is, is that it comes with a lot of like also vested interest. And so um, personal view for the future is, is that we hopefully see a form of aid that really focuses on the needs of, of African countries. And it's less politics, it's less vested interest. It's less, you know, we're going to keep 50% of the aid in the country that it's coming from and only a portion goes to Africa because we fund vehicles and overhead and all these things. But in our report, we say that, you know, 95% went to Africa. Like it's, it's good aid. We need good aid focusing on, on the patients. And Claire, one, one last point is that the reason why healthcare is so good here, right, is it's not just because they have access to, to the right tools. So drugs, diagnostics, and so on. But like all of the other things, right, like clean water and you have like, you know, the air is, is fresh and, you know, you have all these other things that keep you from falling sick. 
you you think about the way healthcare is delivered in in Africa and it's very vertical you know it's very disease focused and product focused right you know initiatives have i'm going to bring in my contraceptive but i'm not going to think about why you know men or women are not using condoms right you know i'm not going to talk about behavioral change interventions and look at other societal issues i i do think we need to move beyond this siloed vertical way of thinking and just think a bit more holistically it's incredibly difficult and of course as you can imagine it's very expensive um and i can see why organizations are like you know what we're just going to do our own little parts provide this product let someone else deal with the rest but for us to to make a difference i think the approach needs to be holistic yeah absolutely and i think it also goes to the point of you know making sure that education you know and, and this whole awareness as well around healthcare is also out there exactly we're doing a project at the moment um not going to mention the organization and um it's a diagnostic project for one of the biggest you know infectious diseases um on the continent and and we we are trying to convince the clients that for you for you to really get uptake of this product you need to invest in demand you know de- demand creation people need to know why why do i need to go to a pharmacy or a clinic to ask for this product right um and it's such a hard conversation to have because again there's already a mindset that this is not our role to fund demand creation and demand creation is also not sexy you know let someone else do it we want to do the sexy things and what our analysis is showing is is that for you to really have that impact it's less about the price of the product and getting access to a cheap product it's how do you convince that man that doesn't want to get tested um and know his hiv status to to come to the clinic how do you convince him women do it you know women are you know great they 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 take care of themselves and then you have all of these avenues through you know antenatal care and I feel like women interface with the with the health system more men on the other hand they're useless but yeah it's it's been a difficult uh, conversation to have i see that basically if if an organization or a company is interested in working on the continent they they need to engage with all the different stakeholders and you know making that even more or less simple i'm not going to say more complicated all the countries are different right you need to also factor in the culture aspect and so on all the countries are different the culture is different i mean i'm nigerian and even as a nigerian that is i'm yoruba i grew up in lagos lagos is so different from northern nigeria and the cultural practices are so different so i can't even imagine like the difference between like nigeria and eastern african countries or southern african countries so i totally agree i think you know that local context is very important and this is why if you go on our website you see that interventions or strategies need to be really grounded in the realities of the ground you need to speak to people you need to understand why people don't do what they're meant to be doing you need to think about what the pathway is for the patient you know if a mother has to walk several hours to access care and she has to choose between do i work and feed my family 
or go and sit down in a hospital for, for a day because there's a long queue, she's not going to go unless it becomes life-threatening, right? And it's serious. So it's thinking about that patient journey and, you know, things that you need to put in place to improve it. And about the patient journey, now I'm, I'm thinking, especially with the, you know, with the whole COVID situation, we've seen as well the role of digitization taking, you know, more and more space in the discussion. I am wondering from Market Access Africa's perspective, how do you factor in digitization, you know, in, in the work you do with your clients? So it really depends on the client. I mean, I, I think digitization is maybe the most untapped opportunity on, on the continent to reach, reach patients. It's funny you raise this point because, you know, the same, the same project I was just talking about, um, you know, so the demand creation recommendation was also think about how you can tap into platforms like mobile phones. Every, everybody has a mobile phone. Some people have three. And so it's such a, a massive opportunity. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be done there. How you do it, I guess, is the question. I think the way to do it is through partnerships because many of these telecom providers or you know, social media companies are also, they, they're hungry for partnerships. They know they have a good platform and they want to help. Um, but I feel like these two worlds are not speaking. Where we are at the moment is, is thinking about how do we get telecom providers, digital companies to be more aware about the needs of patients in Africa and then linking them with organizations that do good work. Thinking about like, you know, organizations in Geneva, organizations in the U.S. that could really benefit from, from the platforms that they have. So, Wale, at the end of, of the show, what I'd like to do is to ask uh, a s short set of questions to my guests just to have a little sneak preview into, you know, what, what type of books they read or what type of music they like to listen to. My first question is, what are you listening to at this moment or what book are you reading right now? I'm listening to a lot of baby music. <laughs> That's what I'm listening to. Um, and a lot of French ones because, like, my... We have a 13-month-old uh, baby and he's really into, like, you know, French baby songs. I do like rap, though. I'm a, I'm a massive 90s rap person. So, you know, when I'm having a rough day, I put on my, my headphones and I listen to, like, some, some Tupac or, you know, yeah, any 90s music. Books at the moment. Uh, the, the one I, I recently finished was... Um, the Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, and by Mark Manson, and I would highly recommend it. And then the, the second question actually is, is there a, a book, perhaps, if you're really like a, a bookworm, or if you love music, that you, you know, that was special for you at a specific time in your life, something that you really remember? I went through a phase where like, Christian music really like helped me. Um, when I, I ran the, the Bajin business, and we were going through Issue, we had issues with the government. I, I remember just like constantly listening to like, you know, Christian music and it would calm me down. I'm happy to have, you know, caught up with you after realizing that we basically know a lot of people in common. <laughs> Thank you for the insight on Market Access Africa. I really, you know, wish you all the best. My mic is open if you ever want to come back and, uh, and share a bit of, uh, you know, progress on what you've done. So thank you very much. 
thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm impressed by what you're doing, and um, and yeah, I would definitely love to come back and, and speak once we we have a few more results to share. That was episode 23, a conversation with Wale Ajose. It was an interesting insight into the solutions his consulting firm offers to clients throughout Africa with their team of seasoned global health and life science experts based on the continent, but also to get his point of view on which essential aspects to tackle and what role various stakeholders need to play in order to improve healthcare in Africa. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to this new episode. Join me again in two weeks for another conversation with a new guest. Don't forget to follow us on social media for previews on upcoming guests, episodes, but also our new live events. Check us out on Facebook at Narratives of Purpose, on Instagram at Narratives of Purpose underscore podcast, and on LinkedIn at Narrative of Purpose podcast. If you like our show, do share it within your network and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you also sign up for our newsletter on our homepage so you can stay informed about all our activities. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.